We're doing a best of. Israeli army offers Palestinians the option to demolish their own homes. Sure, otherwise they gotta pay for somebody to come and demolish it. Get the lady a sledgehammer. She's <laughs> almost 90. It's the tool that I use to impart my experience. Some people use poetry, I use comedy. Thine is a fascist, really, because the state, most important things in, in everybody's life. If there's a Jewish Israeli listening to this, look back at your own history. Where did your grandparents come from? Where did your great-grandparents come from? My grandparents came from Palestine. My grandma was born in Gaza. My great-grandma was born in Yaffa. My great-great-grandma was born in Yaffa. Where is your lineage from? Policy documents that I cite, multi-generational disconnection of Jewish Arab people from the greater Arab peoples. Jacob the Settler. I don't know how anybody could look at that man, listen to him, and not think he's indigenous to Palestine. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Palestine Podcast, the weekly podcast where a Palestinian-American lawyer and a Jewish-American comedian bring you the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And Mikey Intifada, if you've been finding cute ways to justify genocide online. If you work for the IDF's Informational Warfare Division. If you're a member of the Zionist AstroTurf Keyboard Army. Not a spine or a vertebrae amongst them. Gelatinous, gelatinous. invertebrates. <laughs> Dude, gelatinous invertebrates is going to be the new like, synonym for Zionist. You heard it here, folks. Gelatinous invertebrates. Before we get into today's podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe if you're here on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, please subscribe and leave a review. It only takes two minutes, but it has a huge impact and allows our podcast to reach more people. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. We're also going strong on Patreon, so if you love the Palestine Pod episodes and you want to support this project, join our Patreon where you get early access to the Palestine Pod every week, an additional one to two podcasts per week as well, including our latest creation, Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and give you an opportunity to get to know us a little bit better. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only, so really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine. We're doing a best of. I am ardently opposed to Zionism, and I think that Zionism has done harm not only to Palestinians, but also to Judaism. To say that this affected me is really an understatement because actually the entire outcome of my life was fundamentally altered because of the creation of the state of Israel on top of Palestine. And, you know, the same goes for the other 13 million Palestinians in the world. We are the world's largest refugee population. In 2021, we are at a very pivotal moment in history. A turning point. Yeah. Absolutely. Beit Senem, of course, is the leading Israeli human rights organization, which a few weeks ago came out and concluded for the first time in their 30-year history that Israel is an apartheid regime. And... You know, this again is a, is a departure, is a shift from the work that they used to do previously, which was focused primarily on just documenting the human rights abuses of Israel. So they were limiting themselves to the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem. But now, you know, they've come out and just 
said exactly what is happening on the ground. They've come out and said that in the entire area between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, the Israeli regime implements laws and state violence, which is designed to cement the supremacy of one group, Jews, over another, Palestinians. According to the Israeli NGO, the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, Israel has demolished more than 120,000 Palestinian homes in the entire area of Gaza, the West Bank, and Israel since 1948. And by the way, the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions is on the ground watching the Israeli army do this. I don't know if you know this, Michael, but the Israeli army offers Palestinians the option to demolish their own homes. Sure. Otherwise, they got to pay for somebody to come and demolish it. Exactly. Get the lady a sledgehammer. She's <laughs> almost 90. Also erases decades of Black and Palestinian solidarity historically since the 1960s, okay? These ties run very deep. The Black Power Movement in the 1960s actually issued the first significant statements in support of Palestinians that reached an American audience. And they did this because they were coming from this internationalist framework that was anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, and anti-racist. They extended solidarity to all oppressed peoples of the world, and they saw Palestinians actually as people of color fighting a liberation struggle against a global system of oppression. But I just wanted to share with you some of the quotes that came from some of these really leading black figures. Well, Malcolm X, first of all, following a trip to Gaza in 1964, where he visited Palestinian refugee camps, he authored an article that was called Zionist Logic. And in that article, he questions whether, quote, the Zionists had the legal or moral right to invade Arab Palestine, uproot its Arab citizens from their homes, and seize all Arab property for themselves, just based on the religion claim that their forefathers lived there thousands of years ago. Only a thousand years ago, Malcolm said, the Moors lived in Spain. Would this give the Moors of today the legal and moral right to invade the Iberian Peninsula, drive out its Spanish citizens, and then set up a new Moroccan nation where Spain used to be, as the Zionists have done to our Arab brothers and sisters in Palestine? End quote. Zionist argument to justify Israel's present occupation of Arab Palestine has, quote, no intelligent or legal basis in history, not even in their own religion, end quote. And that's putting it lightly. Put a complete list of all of the sources that we relied on in the preparation of that episode. So if you hear us refer to a statistic, a fact, any quotes, or a book on the podcast, and you would like more information, please do check out our website. We have our first guest on the show, lawyer, comedian, law professor, and community organizer out of Dearborn, Michigan, which is the heart, of course, of the Palestinian American community, Amir Zahir. You are, in a way, a mashup of Michael and myself in that you are a lawyer and a comedian all at once. It's the tool that I use to impart my experiences and my worldview. Some people use poetry, some people use song, I use comedy. Every Palestinian, we have the weight of our ancestors and the weight of the stuff that's going on today. We use comedy to tell the truth. You know, use humor to tell the truth. So just because you're joking doesn't mean you're not trying to tell the truth. Israel is an idea. It's a government. It is yes. a movement. It's an ideology. But it's not a piece of land. The Zionists called it Palestine. Does, that, does everyone, everyone has, everyone who's ever studied Palestine has always seen that poster, that visit Palestine yep. poster that sure. was, this was a Zionist propaganda tool. Yes. You know, they love talking about like 2000 plus years ago, but God forbid you bring up an article from 2004. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> then they're is, like, uh, that's not relevant anymore. It's like, oh right. word, but the Bible is. Bamiya is the one food that I'm like really 
Are you pro Bamia? Oh, 100% pro Bamia. Love oh. Bamia. Oh, I hear that's a I'm controversial so subject. so anti. Well, yeah. I mean... There's a very serious split on TikTok, pro and anti-Bamia, by the way. <laughs> Bamia is a staple of Palestinian cuisine. You cannot like Bamia. Yeah. That's, you know, if you don't like Bamia, that's fine. I just don't like Bamia. Okay, that's fine. You can. It's hairy. It. it tastes like people hair. Have, it's see, furry. This is where what? this is it's where slimy. Okay, so this is where we start to have problems. Is this is okay? this Bemia slander that we're hearing? Yeah, this is where we start to have. Is problems. this defamation? You, I guess here's my here's here's my here's my thing. If you don't like Bamia, that's fine. You know, there could be a lot of reasons you don't like Bamia. The preference, maybe you have a genetic disorder. Maybe there's some other reasons. You, don't you know like what Bamia. the problem with people who don't like Bamia is? They try to convert everyone. Yeah, but if you don't like Bamia and you're Palestinian, my message to you is this. Just shut up about it. What the Zionists love to say, they say, well, Palestinians within Israel can vote, right? So they say that 20% of the Israeli population, again, those are the descendants of the Palestinians who the Zionist militias were unable to uproot from Palestine in 1948. Well, they can vote. Well, so you, you should acknowledge that it's extremely generous that they're allowed to vote at all, right? They don't <laughs> even view them as humans. So it's like, no. robbed you of your identity. We call you Arab Israelis now. You can pretend like you're a part of this charade. There have been numerous reports of voter suppression, lack of polling stations in Palestinian communities in Israel, really rampant racist rhetoric. Palestinian voters do get harassed by Jewish supremacists literally at the polls. And cameras have been placed in Palestinian communities in Israel, which are intended to serve as a deterrent to Arab voters. You, you do the lever, you know what I mean? And as soon as you hit it, it actually just drops you into a pit. <laughs> and like, there's like 700,000 other Palestinians. And they're like, we tried to vote too. Israel says they're having elections. It's like, just declare it a dictatorship already. So you want to say that? No, that's, I'm just going to cut that. That was great. <laughs> you know, Palestine, America. Birds of a feather flock together. The United States will never, ever condition aid to Israel because Israel is just an outpost of military industrial complex in the Middle East, right? right. Like what, okay. what is it that Israel could do right. that would make them condition aid? I feel like Israel could drop nukes on every major continent and Nancy Pelosi would come out of her bunker and be like, we've got to send the rest of what we've got to Israel. You know what I mean? She's bloody and like famished. And she's like ripping out the ice cream from her like fridge. You know what I mean? Just like, we've got to get it over to Tel Aviv. He, the, sold, the former IDF soldier, Iran Ifredi, who's now a human rights defender, researcher, whistleblower, he confirmed for me that it was a fair characterization to call Israel the United States colonial offspring. He talked about how his awakening came from when he was raiding a Palestinian village one time and he came face to face with a young Palestinian boy in his bedroom and thought of his own grandmother who had survived the Holocaust. Today we are joined by Nora Barrows Friedman. You've most certainly read her articles on the electronic intifada. Speaking of weaponizing anti-Semitism to undercut legitimate activists and organizations, I experience a ton of anti-Semitism from Zionist Jews. I don't know yes. about you, Nora, but oh, all for, the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. Because I'm sure they call you a self-hating Jew. Yeah, they try traitor. and mm -hmm. they try and claim that you're not actually Jewish. Right. They will basically just like gatekeep right. Judaism and delegitimize yeah. your identity. 
because they don't like your political opinion. And that is anti-Semitism, right? Because what they are assuming is that all Jews are meant to support Israel. They are conflating Judaism and Zionism. Every time they say that you're a self-hating Jew, the implication is that the only way to love yourself as a Jew is to support settler colonialism. I have so many of these little weirdo brainwashed Zionists all up in my DMs and my comments and everything. And they're like, how do you even celebrate Passover? You know what I mean? Next year in Jerusalem. And it's like, yeah, the prayer is next year in Jerusalem. It is not set up a apartheid state in Jerusalem. It is yeah. not ethnically cleansed the land of Jerusalem. Maybe I've been doing the wrong prayer. You know what I mean? I don't know. Zionism to scholars of colonialism is a racist state ideology. And it is itself inherently anti-Semitic. It should be the work of every Jewish person to, to really, you know, embody that never again spirit, right? Never again doesn't mean just for us. Never right. again means for everyone, including the, the indigenous people on this continent who continue to be dispossessed and ethnically cleansed. And so it's, it's a global multi-generational struggle. And one day, I know, one day, justice in Palestine will happen. And Jewish people around the world will have to reckon with the legacy, the tarnished, you know, just stain on history that has been Zionism. Policies uh, that negatively exactly. affect Jewish people, right. like not exactly. renting to Jewish right. people, right. discriminating against Jewish right. people. This is like, Those are real examples right. of anti-Semitism. Right. Saying free Palestine on the right. internet is actually not anti-Semitism. Right. Next time anybody tells you online God gave Jews the land, ask them what year and who accepted. I'm trying to check the paperwork. If the U.S. says, I'm committed to this two-state solution, why isn't the U.S. calling out Israel's ethnic cleansing all over the West Bank and uprooting of Palestinians all over the West Bank? Why isn't Biden calling on Israel to dismantle the illegal settlements? For some reason, whenever we enter the discourse on Palestine in the U.S., we enter a space that defies all logic, where the rules of logic just simply don't apply, where you can just say whatever you want and it doesn't have to be true. Nobody will actually hold your statements to any level of scrutiny. And that's what we're trying to do here. The Biden administration is doing this rhetorical technique that most people know as lying. This week, we really wanted to focus on the issue of Palestinian political prisoners. The story is very representative of the reality of hundreds of thousands of more Palestinian political prisoners. I posted a video of Mejd reuniting with his wife after 20 years of being locked up in Israeli military prison. The next day, on March 30th, Israeli occupation forces once again invaded his house, attacking his family and friends with tear gas and rubber coated bullets. The Israeli military injured 12 people and abducted Mejd again. 40% of the entire Palestinian male population of the West Bank and Gaza have suffered some form of detention since 1967, whether it be imprisonment, like the 800,000 we just spoke about, or being detained without charge. That Israel jails children of another people and keeps them in military prison. And they can be very young, as young as like six or seven. So grotesque is this phenomenon that a U.S. congresswoman by the name of Betty McCollum introduced a bill in Congress condemning Israel's practice of jailing Palestinian children. You know it's bad if a U.S. congressperson speaking out about it. 
how they define the parameters of what you're allowed to speak about, what you're not allowed to speak about. You're only allowed to say, well, they threw stones. But, but what you can't ask is why are they throwing stones? Why are they so upset? Maybe there's something going on here. Yeah. And okay. why aren't there more professional pitchers? Because right. we know they've got an arm. So uh, there's got to be something stopping their opportunities. So earlier this week, Congresswoman Betty McCollum introduced yet another bill that would support Palestinian human rights. In this case, the bill would bar U.S. aid to Israel from being used to violate Palestinian rights. The bill specifically bans U.S. aid from funding certain realities of the Israeli occupation, like house demolition, settlement expansion, and detention of children. If J Street, which still considers itself in the realm of liberal Zionism, whatever, you know, whatever that means. That's like biodegradable bullets, right? Zionist rhetoric has tried to water itself down and say, no, 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 you can still be a Zionist, but support Palestinian human rights. And the two are not mutually exclusive. You could be like, I am a <laughs> fierce lion supporter, but I'm also very yeah. pro-gazelle. There really is no space for any form of Zionism if you do support Palestinian human rights, because the aim of Zionism is to privilege Jewish rights in the land of Palestine. And that will inevitably come at the expense of the indigenous population who is already there and whose rights have been infringed upon for 70 some years because of the implementation of the Zionist projects. Even if you boil it down to their most palatable, which is just Jewish self-determination in our ancient homeland, if that is your definition of Zionism, you're still displacing people. You are still right. kicking people out of their homes so that you can live there. It's still mm -hmm. ethnic cleansing. Right around the time when it had signed all of those peace deals with countries that it was never at war with. And we all know that it doesn't really matter in any event because while the land may not be de jure annexed, it is still de facto annexed, meaning that the reality on the ground is one where there is only one state on the ground. And depending on whether you are Jewish or Muslim or Christian on that land, is what determines how much rights you have on that land. Yeah, so, it's not de giorno, it's apartheid. <laughs> Tubishvat is the day where Jews commemorate our connection to the natural world, to nature, to trees, plants, everything. During Tubishvat, there were illegal Zionist settlers, as well as the IDF and the government itself funding people to burn olive trees that are thousands of years old. How can you reconcile that you are a Jew celebrating your natural connection to the earth while you are committing arson? Makes no sense. Makes Furthermore, sense. during Passover, when Jews commemorate diaspora, mm -hmm. there were illegal settlers in East Jerusalem ethnically cleansing Jerusalem on Passover. Today, Miko Pella joins the Palestine pod. Your father was, of course, a key figure in the events of 1948 and 1967, which resulted in the expulsion of the majority of the Palestinian population from Palestine. And today, those individuals and their descendants remain overwhelmingly refugees all over the world. And yet, you go on this journey that rattles all of your deeply held beliefs about Zionism and Israel. I'm from a Zionist family, as there is. Zionism was the bread and butter. Zionism is fascist, really, because the state are the most important things in in, in in everybody's life. Really, all I did was I just went literally almost across the streets because that's all you have to do. Walk from the, Fanon describes it, the sphere of the privileged and the oppressor to the sphere of the other. In Palestine, it's really across the street. And so you have to start to humanize people. Mask fell off the Zionists. 
and Israeli discourse changed entirely. And it kind of, it's almost like they realized, why are we bothering to pretend that we're something that we're not? We can get away with saying what we think and doing what we want. 1967 was an extension of 1948. Exactly. It was not a separate thing. You have to dismantle the myth. Well, if you start dismantling the myth, then you can't be a liberal Zionist anymore. You have to be progressive or you have to admit that you're a racist and you support violence and, and, and ethnic cleansing and all these terrible things. There's a good version of Israel that's possible. Well, that's part of the myth. There never was, there never is, and there never can be a good version of a racist ideology. There never can be a good version of an apartheid regime. A racist ideology that is built on a false premise. We don't need to analyze what they say or what they think because we can see what happened. Almost a hundred years actually of history in Palestine demonstrates very clearly what Zionism is about, the objectives of Zionism are, and where this is leading. It leaves absolutely no room for doubt. As Baldwin says, I don't necessarily know what white people think of me or, 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 or feel about me, but I can see what they do. So Israelis are, you know, offended if you say occupation, if you call Israel settler colonial. Yep. But only in English. In Hebrew, the words that are most commonly used in order to glorify Israel are occupation, settlements, and being and settlers and colonizers. I was meeting somebody near Yaffa, and we met, and he said, well, let's meet near this parking lot in Yaffa, which is called Colonizer's Parking Lot. It's near the Conqueror's Street and oh across the road from the Occupier's Park. These words are used all the time. Every street, every, every city, every town has a colonizer's plaza, for example, because they view these things as glorious. That is what glorifies Israel. That's how Israel was established. But don't you dare say it in English because in English it doesn't sound right. And that video of the settler Jacob. That dude oh my God. is so clearly from the United States. It's not even yeah, me. That's like, what he yeah, said. It, he's standing yeah. in their yard yeah. talking about it's not even me. It's easy to get mad at me. Right. Sure, it's easy to get mad at you. Right. You're stealing right. my house, Jacob. And he's like, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And she's like, no. When I saw that video, I was like, no hashtags. Like, we're done with the protests. This woman needs a gun. <laughs> In Texas, you'd shoot them dead. The main ways that Palestinians remain attached to their land and their homes is by carrying their land deeds. They still have their keys. And they're like, we're going back to our houses. You, you can't just take our houses you can't just take our land that's not how this works not only that but they were never paid for any of this stuff we very rarely talk about the economic consequences of the settler colonial project billions of dollars that palestinian economy and palestinian people were deprived of as a result of being dispossessed from their land that's the thing with zionist logic it inverts all of logic on its head yeah, you know how like New York and New Jersey mobsters intimidate people by hanging them off a bridge by their feet? That's yeah. what Zionists do with logic. The ethnic cleansing of East Jerusalem is not new, right? It's been happening since 48. They are just continuing a process that has been in place for nearly a hundred years now. And sometimes we hear about how, yeah, well, Israel also armed apartheid South Africa and was allies with apartheid South Africa, but it goes even beyond that. Israel provides Mexico with training and weapons in its counterinsurgency against the Zapatistas. That Israel benefits from militarism and neoliberalism and capitalism and all of these repressive ideologies. And this extends beyond Palestine. Other well, the thing is, is you're not meant to inhale chemical gas every day as a human being right. theoretically yeah, right. police aren't meant to just use tear gas anytime they feel like it and they do this in palestine the idf yes. 
uses U.S. made canisters tear of tear gas yeah. that they use all the time just for fun. You know, they throw it at people while they're praying. They also talk about in that article how they first noted issues with tear gas and menstruation during the Arab Spring. The first study to document the longer term effects of tear gas exposure in a large population. It's pretty revolutionary work. Today, Dr. Steve Salaita joins the Palestine pod. It was secular in some sense, but you, you, you can't undertake to colonize somebody else's lands just based on a flight of fancy there there has to be a, a, a substance to the narrative to get people on board and the substance of the narrative was return to the biblical promise of a holy land for a particular population in this case the the, the jews of europe i guess Jews all over the world, but they weren't really thinking about the ones in Africa and West Asia. You know, they, they really had in mind European Jews. U.S. politicians talk about shared values between the U.S. and Israel. They're not just talking about geopolitical values. They're really talking about the, the very basis of each colony's national identity. You know, the, the idea of done something extraordinary, of, of taming a wilderness, of, of building a modern state out of the wreckage of indigenous uselessness and indifference. It's at the, the center of the notion of Israeli and U.S. exceptionalism, right? Yes. That they're exceptional in a particular historical framework. Yes. Your answer was so engrossing, I forgot I was on the podcast. <laughs> For a brief moment, the Zionists were considering plenty of other places for their settler colonial project. Uganda, I, I recently heard Azerbaijan, also Madagascar. Strategically, there was this idea that, okay, we'll pick Palestine because of the ability yeah. to capitalize on this religiously infused discourse. And if I'm understanding you correctly, the Zionists were specifically inspired by what they saw in the U.S. In other words, the idea that settlement, which is driven by religious fanaticism, is in fact very effective. There was also, for a brief moment in time, an attempt by certain Zionists to integrate into Palestine. So, for example, Ben-Gurion, 20s and 30s, he tried to integrate into the Ottoman system. He even tried to learn Arabic. And this, of course, is not how the story ends, because we know that it quickly turned to removal and replacement of the indigenous population as soon as it had the power to do so. Zionist narrative rests on the claim that every Jewish person is allegedly indigenous to Palestine if we just go back to 2,000 years ago. And that this, in fact, somehow entitles any Jewish person from anywhere in the world today to show up in Palestine, receive immediate citizenship, move into a Palestinian home or on Palestinian land, and participate in this ongoing policy to uproot Palestinians from their homes and create this mythical Jewish state. For Palestinians, indigeneity is self-evident. We were there until we were removed, and many of us are still there, even if we're living as internal refugees. So, for example, 80% of Gaza is people who were removed from what became Israel in 1948. You know, they're, they're definitely always watching, and so, you know, yes. you, you want to make an impression. I think a lot of our fans are intelligence, yeah. <laughs> Transitioning to indigeneity, I'm going to stick to Palestine. It's a talking point that some Zionist institution and it, some research, I mean, you're not even talking about we're indigenous for a while, but it seemed to come out of nowhere all at the same time. All of a sudden, like all the Zionists on Twitter are saying, hey, we're the indigenous ones. Right. Right? Indigeneity provokes sympathy. You're not, if you're indigenous, you're not a settler colonizer, right? Exactly. You, you all of a sudden occupy a completely different category. Which has moral but implications. It, it, Exactly. I mean, as does the term indigeneity itself. It has tons of moral implications, political implications, legal implications, economic implications, especially in the United States, right? We have tribes uh, that are trying to get federal recognition because federal recognition comes with, with material benefits. That you cannot intertwine 
in Palestine anyway, indigeneity with any sort of sectarianism. It's completely ahistorical. It doesn't work. Deeply, deeply skeptical of following work of, of Kim Tallbear and, and others, of, of genetics as a source of uh, political claims. If you have to go to, you know, to, to a lab, you know, to try to get a scientist to, to, to confirm an, an old biblical story as your claim to habitation, then you have a shitty claim to habitation. My claim to habitation is my grandmother lived there. You know who really, really loved the science of Jewish DNA? Nazis. Big fans. <laughs> I think in addition to using indigeneity as a claim for legitimizing displacement, legitimizing ethnic cleansing, it comes from an identity crisis where you would otherwise have to grapple with your own sins, your own participation in a settler colonialist system, right? And I understand many Jews fled the Holocaust, some of my family as well. They're still settlers, though. We, the, the family history is that we settled in Brooklyn. We settled in Toronto, right? Those are the terms that my family has always used. It's absolving oneself of guilt. It's absolving oneself of any responsibility for the atrocities that took place on the land that we now occupy. Jacob the Settler. I don't know how anybody could look at that man, listen to him, and not think he's indigenous to Palestine. You know what I'm saying? Welcome to episode 11. Today we're going to be reporting live from the ground in occupied East Jerusalem. And I'll be sharing some first-hand accounts coming out of Gaza. All I have to say to people is, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe a country that has been accused of apartheid by its own human rights organization that has targeted UN buildings before in previous assaults on Gaza, was known to fire missiles at hospitals, at schools in Gaza? Or are you going to believe the Associated Press? One thing that has been made very clear in the last week is that a Palestinian from 48 is not different from a Palestinian in Gaza, is not different from a Palestinian in the West Bank, is not different from a Palestinian in Jerusalem, and is not different from their Palestinian refugee brothers that were pushed out into the rest of the world and who are fighting like hell to spread this message in solidarity with their brothers and sisters on the ground. They are made refugees once again. Zionists were responsible for making them refugees 73 years ago, and they are responsible for making them refugees 73 years later. Israel doesn't always call, right? So right. there are many cases since these hostilities began four or five days ago now, where Israel has fired missiles from its F-16s on families that were sleeping. And, you know, two days ago, we had a family of 10 all in one building die after a strike on their home in the middle of the night. We also had last night two different doctors, two different doctors' homes were targeted by missile attacks. And they died along with their families. One of them is Dr. Ayman Abul Of, who is assistant professor of internal medicine. He works at Al Shifa Hospital. He's really active with Doctors Without Borders. Israel knew exactly who they were targeting when they were targeting his house. There's absolutely no excuse for targeting medical professionals, just like there's no excuse for targeting an international news media building. I mean, in the same day that Israel targeted my family's home, they also in completely demolished the Associated Press and Al Jazeera building in Gaza. We're going to be in discussion with one of our Jerusalem brothers, 
Adnan, who's going to give us his views on the Palestinian uprising. Thank you, Adnan, for being here. That's what's happening now, but on a daily basis. So people are freaking out, really, and uh, we don't have any uh, way to protect ourselves. We stay up until the, until the sun rises because we are afraid from nocturnal attacks. All we have here is just wood sticks, and they have all the kind of arms and rifles. And if we defend ourselves, the military forces and the occupation forces interfere with their gas bombs, rubber bullets, and that drama again, and they just keep them safe. Keep, I, I wish if that, uh, and it's all documented. And now that's why our voice is everywhere, because people know, finally see. What ended up happening was that those Palestinians' homes were taken including the homes of the people who are in Sheikh Jarrah, who are fighting to keep their homes in Sheikh Jarrah today, is a clear connection that is being made with the Nakba of 1948. It's not only a connection, it's a continuation. Exactly. And that's why I'm happy that the world finally sees, because Sheikh Jarrah, that small neighborhood, represents the whole cause. And Gaza, what's happening to there now, is just basically the systematic ethnic cleansing. Many Israelis and Zionists claim that, oh, you say ethnic cleansing, like ethnic cleansing and killing people. So what's happening in Gaza now? Yes, yes, it's very scary to be honest. I, don't, I know that we are strong, we have this strong image, and we see, you see us resilient and so on. But this specific thing is absolutely terrifying. That's what drove the Palestinians out of Palestine in 1948. The Zionist gangs who were killing, raping, and terrorizing people. So when you hear about your neighbor, your neighbor's girl or daughter was raped, that's how it started at 1948. People would just flee away for, because they don't want to be raped, they don't want to be killed. And like two days ago, one of the right-wing uh, lunatics posted, we need to make another Holocaust for Arabs. Let's castrate their men. Let's rape their women. If there's a Jewish Israeli listening to this, look back at your own history. Where did your grandparents come from? Where did your great-grandparents come from? My grandparents came from Palestine. My grandma was born in Gaza. My great-grandma was born in Yaffa. My great-great-grandma was born in Yaffa. Where, where is your lineage from? You came from somewhere else, and not only did you come from somewhere else, but you didn't want to come and live next to me on my land, which we never would have had a problem with. Rather, you demanded to expel me in order to take my place. And that's exactly what you did, and that's exactly what you continue to do. You will not be satisfied until every last Palestinian is removed from the land of historic Palestine. And that's why Israel continues to expand its borders, even though it agreed during the Oslo Accords to the two-state solution in principle, which in any event would have been a huge concession for the Palestinians to accept to have a state on 22% of their land. But we accepted it. And what did the Zionists do? Every single year since Oslo, they continued to build more settlements and transfer more Jewish people from 48 to occupied territory in violation of the Fourth Geneva Convention. So please don't tell me that Israel is serious about a resolution with the Palestinians, the people that has occupied and ethnically cleansed for 73 years. Palestinians have no choice today but to rise up. We have no choice today but to call a spade a spade. And we've been doing it for decades, but nobody's been listening. And today we have the benefit that some sort of global consciousness has been triggered where people are finally starting to understand that the terminology to be used is not conflict. The terminology to be used is not both sides. The terminology to be used is not but Hamas. 
The clock does not start running when Hamas fires a rocket in 2021 that Israel is in any event able to fully intercept because of the billion-dollar Iron Dome system. The clock starts running in 1948 when you expelled the majority of us from our homes and you took them and you lived in them and you didn't even change the furniture. That's when the clock starts running. That is the injustice that has yet to be corrected today, and not only that, but continues to be perpetuated. This is why Palestinians are rising up, and this is exactly why all people that are fighting an anti-colonial struggle right now have shown their solidarity with Palestinians. Take, for example, the Black Lives Matter statement, which took a clear position on settler colonialism, and it called for the dismantlement of settler colonialism in Palestine. This is what we are dealing with as Palestinians, and we will continue to rise up because here's the thing that the world hasn't understood yet, perhaps, or maybe the Zionists haven't understood yet. We would rather die with dignity than live occupied. We would rather die with dignity than live under an apartheid regime because we are human. And the human being it was a dignified creation of God. The human being was inherently born with dignity. You may not, as a Zionist, attribute very much value to human life based on the way that you treat the Palestinian based on the way that you have stolen the Palestinians' land, based on the way that you have raped our women, that you have jailed our men, that you have jailed our children, that you have tortured our people. Look at the reports that are published by the Palestinian NGO Adamir. Just look at them. They use techniques of torture that are brutal against us. For what? For demanding to exist on our land? We show up in Sheikh Jarrah two nights ago, singing and dancing and painting murals and flying kites. And what do the Zionists do? They manhandle and beat Palestinians. They steal the kites. They steal the flags. That is the face of Israel. That is the face of Zionism. Palestinians are constantly teaching life amidst a genocide. I saw a clip of a Palestinian boy and his sister going to the rubble of their home in Gaza looking for their fish and they found their fish tank and it was intact and the boy was so happy. He was standing in the rubble of his former home and he was so happy that his fish was alive and he was showing it off for the camera. We are constantly teaching life in the midst of a genocide. There were Palestinian children playing on a trampoline as the missiles rained down on Gaza because there's nowhere to hide. So we may as well live life and enjoy it. There's nowhere to hide. We can't escape Gaza. It's a prison. Israel won't let us leave. The same country that is mercilessly pounding us with thousands of tons of missiles is the same country that literally has sealed the border and won't let us escape. We are constantly teaching life. Sorry, I went off. He's frozen again. He's kicked off. <laughs> Rahib. They are mighty. They are mighty. Rahib, Rahib, Rahib. استغيال يا حرام بالحاس يحكي شيء سي الله الوضع شو مقرف عن جد الله مخلص الله يعطيك العافية عدنان الله يعطيك العافية أول شيء الحين وراها وراها يحميكم ويفرج عليكم ويعوضكم وفعلا يعني إحنا أنا دائما أنا كل يوم هيك أنا 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 كل يوم هيك I أنا I told I told all my Palestinian friends on the ground I said, I may have been born in exile. I was born in Kuwait. I may have mm. been born in exile, but there is not a single day of my life that I did not fight to dismantle the Zionist regime. And I will continue to fight to dismantle the Zionist regime every single day of my life until I die. Look, Israel took everything from me. 
They prevented me from living on land where my, my grandmother and my grandfather were born. They prevented me from learning my language perfectly. They prevented me from knowing my culture perfectly, from having the historical references. They prevented me from generational wealth of being able to just continue to live and, and grow up on my land. When we became refugees, we lost everything. Not only were we refugees one time, but we became refugees again because then we were expelled from Kuwait. They deprived me of everything. They deprived me of my identity. They forced me to grow up in a society that I had no choice to grow up in. I didn't choose to grow up in. And I am enraged. I am filled with rage. I made a post the other day and I said, my rage is stronger than your missiles. Because my rage, my rage comes from a place of principle. My rage comes from a place of principle and comes from a place of respect for human dignity. So I will That's continue to fight. Message. That was that was my message for the Palestinians of diaspora. You are now the only hope. And alhamdulillah, they all responded. And now they work up uh, all the countries with them. Great BDS news. The journalist Abby Martin won her lawsuit in Georgia. The Maldives suspended all ties with Israel, showing solidarity with Palestinians. Of Albert Systems. Protesters on drone factory roof drank rainwater as police blocked supplies. Pro-Palestinian protesters spent six days on the roof of a drone factory say supporters were arrested for trying to throw water to them. In the UK, over 300,000 individuals have signed a petition to calling on sanctions against Israel. Also, a British MP called for sanctions on Israel as the civilian casualties mounted in Gaza. Similarly, an Irish MP called for the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador from Ireland. Our guest today is Mas'ud Hayoun, an award-winning journalist. He has written for Al Jazeera English, Parts Unknown, and The Atlantic. He's the author of When We Were Arabs, a book which tells the story of his grandparents' lives, who were Arab Jews from North Africa, and also infuses historical accounts of key events from the 20th century. What does movement meant for Arab Jews and how these events shaped his own identity today. One of the strengths that I think is really important about this podcast is from my understanding as a non-Palestinian of how things end up happening with people is that they view so much of Palestine as a political cause and not as just regular everyday people who are supporting human rights. So yeah. I think mm -hmm. it's beautiful uh, that you guys mix all of your discussions of things that are happening with just people being human beings and not necessarily activists. I was just about to tell you that your voice is so soothing. It's like if chamomile tea was a person. Thank you so much. Kind of viewing the continuity between policies of devastation and dispossession in North Africa and drawing that line toward what happened in 1948 or seeing how one colonial project nourished another and why there were very particular and explicit policy documents that I cite in When We Were Arabs that discuss the full and multi-generational disconnection of Jewish Arab people, Jewish Arab societies from the greater Arab peoples. Egyptian Jews who were endangered during the Levon affair, a false flag operation where a group of Egyptian Jews was recruited by the Israeli military intelligence to plant bombs inside of Egyptian, American, and British-owned civilian targets, cinemas, libraries, and American educational centers. The way that Jewish Arabs were weaponized against their homelands by the early uh, Zionist intelligence, which had already infiltrated by the 1940s Arab societies to a very significant degree, that our bodies were instrumentalized against our homelands, and that 
people sought to drive a wedge between Jewish Arab people and the rest of Arab society uh, by sowing doubt about whether it was possible for a Jewish Arab person to continue to be a functioning part of an Arab society without posing a risk. One of the reasons why we ended up writing this book, we started seeing a lot of attempts on the part of Zionists to very illogically counter Palestinian claims to refugee status by saying that we were made refugees. There is an attempt on the part of Zionists to try to weaponize our refugee status against Palestinian people in a way that doesn't make sense. We are joined by Palestinian Dutch American musician, activist Anwar Hadid, and Palestinian Italian American filmmaker Vin Arfuso. But the first thing that we learned from that incident is that even the civilians in Israel are super intertwined with the police force. Can you take us through how your family was expelled from Safed in Palestine? They literally like fled on a donkey. They could only take the things that they could carry on, on their back. So many like hardline conservatives, money from our government going to healthcare or whatever, but they have no problem yeah. sending it overseas. And these are the guys who are like, well, America first, you know, like they're so afraid of socialism and communism and just like insanely like xenophobic. Their entire mission is America first, except for Israel. Just in this last month, I've had over a dozen posts deleted entirely. The way I post on social media is the way rockets come out of Gaza, where it's like, we know some are going to get shot down, right? Greetings <laughs> <laughs> from people of South Africa to our brave brothers and sisters in Palestine who continue to inspire us on a daily basis uh, to be out in the street and to be their voice in every corners of our countries and our regions and our continents to ensure that uh, the voice of the voiceless in Palestine is heard. The Royal House of Mandela is committed to upholding the legacy of my grandfather, His Excellency President Nelson Folishasha Mandela, and to championing the causes that he supported. There is no cause more worthy of our support than that of the Palestinian struggle, because we regard the Palestinian struggle as the greatest moral issue of our time. Your struggle is our struggle, because President Mandel said that, I quote, our freedom is incomplete without the freedom of the Palestinian people, close quote. We are with you in this struggle against apartheid Israel, and we will not relent in mobilizing all freedom-loving people of the world in support of the Palestinian struggle until Palestine is free. During my visit to occupied Palestine in November 2017, I experienced firsthand what Palestinians have to go through every day at the hands of the racist Zionist state and its brutal apartheid apparatus. My view is that apartheid brutality practiced by apartheid Israel is the worst than anything we experienced as South Africans. They have taken the worst apartheid practices of South Africa and have taken it to another level. This is not only my view, but also the view of other South African leaders who visited occupied Palestine, like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the former minister Ronnie Carcelis. Apartheid has been declared a crime against humanity. 1998 Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court lists apartheid 
as one of 11 distinct crimes against humanity, defining it as inhumane acts committed in the context of an institutionalized regime of systematic oppression and domination by one racial group over any other group or groups. By this definition alone, Israel is an apartheid state and it has perpetrated inhumane acts against Palestinian people, Muslims, Christians, and even Jews for more than seven decades. Like apartheid South Africa, Israel has institutionalized its racist policies by passing laws that are blatantly racist and discriminatory to this end. There are more than 50 articles of legislation that violate the rights of the Palestinian people in every aspect of life under the occupation by apartheid Israel. Apartheid South Africa was the culmination of more than three centuries of occupation. And this is the primary characterization of apartheid Israel. It is nothing less than an illegal occupation of Palestinian lands perpetuated under the myth of a land without a people for a people without a land. In South Africa, they passed the South African Native Land Act of 1913 that rendered the majority of our people as foreigners in the land of their birth and aliens in the lands of their forefathers. I believe that Palestinians too experience the same kind of alienation under the racist Zionist state. One only has to look at the shrinking map of historic Palestine to understand the agenda. The apartheid South Africa regime uprooted the majority of our people and forced 87% of the population onto 13% of land, alienating our people from their homes, their farms, their crops, and even their livestock. The skewed ownership patterns of land in South Africa is still one of the major issues that we are fighting in order to restore to people what is truly their property. This is exactly what apartheid Israel is doing to the Palestinian people and the struggle of the families of Sheikh Jarrah and Silwan is what we have ourselves experienced. The apartheid regime in South Africa passed the notorious Group Areas Act, which removed people from their homes in areas like Sophia Town, Fetus, and District 6. It not only bulldozed people's homes and uprooted communities, it also prohibited non-whites from staying in those areas. This is the same ethnic cleansing practiced by apartheid Israel, which you are all familiar with. The apartheid South African regime was brutal and carried out extrajudicial killings, assassinations, 
and indiscriminately bombed neighboring states and destabilized the frontline states for supporting the liberation struggle very much the same way that apartheid Israel is doing today. Like its sister apartheid state, South Africa, apartheid Israel has seized resources, land, water, and monopolized the economy to strangle the Palestinian economy and destroy its viability. The fight for the liberation of Palestine must also learn from our own struggle against apartheid South Africa by strengthening internal unity, global solidarity of the international anti-apartheid movement and the greatest weapon of the Palestinian struggle in our time is probably the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. We must do more to strengthen this dimension of our struggle for Palestine. One of the most significant sites of struggle against apartheid Israel is the support it receives from Western colonial powers, the USA, and the United Kingdom. The latter is responsible for creating the original land grab of Palestine, and the USA is the lifeline of apartheid Israel and its greatest ally. The racist apartheid South Africa regime was likewise propped up by the imperialist powers but we have a date with destiny. Already the American public is waking up to the genocide, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity that their tax dollars are paying for. We must and will continue to fight this war against apartheid Israel on all fronts until Palestine is free. I thank you. You can check out our sources at www.palestinepod.com. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Peace. Do, 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 do.